If your work had a message, what would you like for that message to say? When you have more than you need, you build a longer table and not a higher wall. Hey there, thanks for checking out The Best Kind today. This is a series where we learn from Baltimore's helpers about their journeys in kindness. So we look for lessons in their stories that we can all use to make our lives better together. I'm Josh Morgan, and in this episode, I'll be talking with Jackie Gutman. Jackie is the director of the Feeding the Flock food pantry. It's at the Church of the Messiah in the neighborhood of Hamilton here in Baltimore. I'll talk with Jackie about her background and about the people that she serves and also why she enjoys serving all those people. Uh, I'll talk with her in just a few minutes. The Best Kind is on YouTube if you'd like to watch the video version of the show, or if you prefer the audio, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. I'm I'm going to walk back something I said uh, in the last episode about having two episodes a month. I've since realized that's a little overambitious. It does take a lot of work to put an episode together. so. I apologize for the confusion, but I'm going to go back to having just one episode a month uh, on the 15th of every month. So you can look out for a new episode uh, on April the 15th. You can subscribe for new episodes of The Best Kind at bestkindpod.com. And you can sign up for the email newsletter while you're there. The Best Kind is also on Twitter and Instagram and TikTok at bestkindpod. So if you'd like to follow updates for the best kind, I would recommend pausing this episode right now and, you know, go ahead and go do that. Then you can come back. Um, When you're done with that, put this episode on in the background of whatever you're up to. And I hope you enjoy the show. I started the best kind because I wanted to shine a light on the undercurrent of kind and compassionate people that live and work here in Baltimore. There's a lot of them, but you know, I, I worry sometimes that you wouldn't know it if you ask the average person about the city, you know, whether that's here in Baltimore or elsewhere. Um, Baltimore just has a bad reputation. But I, I think the people that are here trying to make a difference, trying to make the city better, trying to take care of the rest of us, they don't get recognized enough. And to me, Jackie Gutman, uh, she represents those kinds of people, the the helpers. It, the interesting thing I realized in talking with Jackie is that she's not an island. She's part of this broad network of helpers that are all working together. They all talk to each other. They all coordinate with one another and throughout the Baltimore area. And they're trying their best to take care of the rest of us and also be available when when any of us needs help. Jackie and I, we live in the same neighborhood in Baltimore, but you know, it, it's, it's sort of this symptom that, you know, sort of like what I was just talking about with the, you know, the reputation of the city. You know, if you, if you talk to a lot of old heads around here, here in Hamilton, especially, uh, a lot of people complain that Hamilton just isn't what it used to be, you know, like, you know, Hamilton was, you know, I guess this like fairy tale place that was just so awesome to grow up in. But, you know, if you ask the people that grew up here, you know, now it's not so great. And, you know, of course, there's that problem across the whole city. And, you know, I'm sure there are valid reasons for that. But also, I'm I didn't grow up in Baltimore. I'm a transplant. And I I think that gives me a little bit of a different perspective about the city because I you know, I didn't, I don't have that context of, you know, growing up here and what things might've been like, but I can recognize, uh, you know, I've been here for a few years now, but I still 
I, I, I guess I'm a part of the city now, but I, I still sometimes feel like an outsider. And, you know, having said all of that, you know, I, I do feel like I'm able to recognize, you know, when I'm, you know, traveling through the city or, you know, just reading what other people are up to online. I, I feel like I'm able to see where people are making a genuine effort to try to make things better. And, you know, a lot of the old timers around here, they, they don't always want to see that or they want to ignore it. And I think that's unfair to people like Jackie because, you know, they work so hard to try to make a difference in the lives of others. And, you know, if you if you drive by the Church of the Messiah on Harford Road on Wednesday afternoons, I think you'll see a really good example of that idea and practice. And that's because Jackie and her group of volunteers, they they don't just show up on Wednesdays. You know, that, you know, having a line down the street, you know, lined up at a food pantry, you know, that's that doesn't just happen on Wednesdays. That takes a lot of work. And, you know, I realized in talking with Jackie that, you know, putting together a food pantry, making it run smoothly on a weekly basis, that that's almost like a full time job in itself. Um, you know, I, I gathered that it's it's more than just, you know, taking in donations and distributing them. It takes a lot of hustle. It takes a lot of paperwork and it takes a lot of relationship building. Like I mentioned, there's that whole network of helpers in the city that we don't always see. And Jackie's tapped into that. And, you know, when people are in need, they don't have the time or the resources to do that legwork themselves. So that's where people like Jackie come in, especially during the COVID pandemic when, you know, as you'll hear Jackie talk about, it sounds like there was a lot more people in need, um, that don't always get recognized. And, you know, that's another thing uh, running a program like this, that can take a, a lot of like, I can take a real mental and emotional toll, but Jackie seems like she's handling it very well. And, you know, she also has her own needs. She has to take care of as well. So it's, I don't know. It's, I feel like Jackie and her team, they're sort of these unsung heroes here in Baltimore, especially in Hamilton. Um, and I just appreciate that she's out there doing the kind of work that she's doing. And I also appreciate that she made time to talk with me. Um, yeah, like I said, I, I, I just, I don't know, just something about her mission. And I just feel like more people need to know about people like Jackie. So I appreciate that you're taking the time to check up on, uh, on Jackie's story. I hope you learn a little bit about, uh, what it's like to run a food pantry here in the city and yeah, I hope you enjoy the conversation. Here's Jackie Gutman. I've read, you know, I follow a lot of, or we follow a lot of the same Facebook groups, I suppose. Uh, a lot of the yeah. local ones, you know, like growing up in Hamilton and Harford Road Collective mm-hmm. and that sort of thing. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of the old timers talk about how Hamilton used to be. And, you know, there's been a lot of change in the neighborhood. Is that something you've experienced as well? Yeah. Yeah, there has been a lot of change. Mm-hmm. But I, I think some of it's been good. We have a lot more new businesses. In the, in the Harford Road, in the Hamilton District, Hamilton, Laurelville, Main Street. And I think that's been really good. That's good. Um, so what persuaded you to stay in the area? Or is it because you have family here? Or is there something about the area that just keeps you here beyond family? Well, I, I've always liked the area. Um, I had family here. Mm-hmm. And they're gone. And I was married and lived in Laurelville for a while. Okay. 
And then I moved back up to Hamilton and remarried. Okay. How was life growing up? Like, how was your upbringing? Well, I was an only child. Oh, okay. Yeah. I had siblings, so I don't have that experience. (laughs) What was it like as an only child? See, I really loved it. Mm. I I loved the fact that, um, I don't know, I could explore a lot of things, and my parents were real supportive, and it was great. So your parents were good? Or you have fond memories of your parents anyway? Yeah. That's great. Um, And I went to school in the neighborhood, too. Oh, what school? Uh, Well, I went to Calvary Lutheran, then I went to St. Thomas More. Then I went downtown to IND, which just closed. Eventually, you know, growing up, you you found your way through those schools. And uh, were you a good student? Do you feel like you were a good student? I was a good student. Oh, good. (laughs) Yeah, I love school. That's great. So that helped you uh, when you went on to college. Um, And I know you, you pursued You've since pursued a few different degrees. Um, What was your thinking when you first went to college? Did you have an idea of what you wanted to be? Yeah, I wanted to be an accountant. Oh, an accountant. Okay. Which was absolutely fascinating. And when I was finishing up community college, I had to take, uh, you know, the basic English courses. And one of my teachers said, I think you have a real flair for it. Hmm. So then I went and got my bachelor's in English and my master's in English. Okay. So then I got... So you wanted to be an accountant, but you pursued English. Yeah, which oh, okay. was very weird. And then I decided once I pursued English, I wanted to teach. Hmm, okay. What was it about teaching that appealed to you? Uh, just interacting with people. That's what I really loved. I learned so much from my students just about life and their experiences and how it all fit together. Mm-hmm. And then I went and got a degree in psychology, and it was fun teaching psychology courses. Okay. You know, something I've often heard from teachers uh, that I've talked to is they they really enjoy and I've heard it several times that light bulb moment when students mm-hmm. like you tell something to students and they're like, oh, and then they they get it. That, that sounds like and I, you know, I've had some experience teaching when I was in grad school, but uh, it, that light bulb moment just seems really exciting, like really gratifying once you, you know, you taught something and they, like the students get it. Absolutely. And I taught a range. I taught developmental writing uh, to students who were reading on a fourth grade level. And I've taught uh, graduate psychology courses. And, and, I, and I love seeing that that light bulb moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So eventually, as you just mentioned, um, I, I guess maybe you had a career as an accountant for a little bit. Um, no, I did not. You didn't. OK. No, I ended up uh, being an English tutor. While I was going through school at University of Baltimore, and then I've taught at University of Baltimore and uh, community colleges of Baltimore County and Baltimore City Community College. And then I became director of disability services there at University of Baltimore. Yeah, that's what I was about to ask you about, because I know you you took on that role and you were eventually the director. And yeah. uh, you you mentioned that you uh, you pursued a degree in counseling. Um, what was it about your thinking that shifted? Like, you know, you went in teaching, I think, were you teaching English or accounting? Teaching English. English. Okay. But you transitioned, you decided you want to change from English to counseling. What, what was that shift? Do you remember? Yeah. I really wanted to be able to better help my students. Hmm. Um, they didn't have my job prior to ADA. Uh, ADA was the early nineties. Yeah. And I came in in the fall of 92 and they said, well, we don't really know what we're doing. Here's a computer. Go. 
wow. <laughs> kind of write your own job description, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I figured I needed to learn some more and eventually expanded the office. And then my focus was on students with uh, psychological and learning disabilities. Mm. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask, because you said you saw a need to want to help your students. What What were the specific needs that kind of stuck out that you wanted to help with? Um, a lot of the students with psychiatric issues, um, they were uh, bipolar. I had a few students. Um, well, I had quite a few students on the autism spectrum. And I had a few with dissociative identity disorder. Mm-hmm. And you noticed these while you were teaching the students? I did. Okay. So was it a situation where they would come to you like they had learning difficulties or something? Yeah. That you would help with? Yeah. Or they would have some behavioral difficulties and maybe not in my class, but they'd have them in the other class. They'd say, well, I'm getting in trouble here, but I'm not getting in trouble in your class. So what's going on? Mm. You know, what can I do? Huh. What do you, why do you think it made a difference that they weren't getting in trouble in your class? Um, I had a pretty open classroom. They could ask anything about anything. Hmm. Um, and we had a real open dialogue between me and the students and between the peers. Did someone recommend counseling to you or is it, no, how did that occur to you? Um, I just, I said, you know, I needed to know more. I just need to know more book learning. I, I kind of have the gut, but I don't have the formal knowledge. Gotcha. With counseling, like it takes a very specific type of person, or at least in my experience, it seems like it takes a very you know, open, empathetic, even compassionate kind of person. Do you feel like you had that going in? I do. I do. What do you think I that think, came from? Um, I think being a parent helped. So you were a parent at the time when you yeah. were teaching. Okay. Yeah. I, yeah, I could see that being very informative, especially if you have your own little one <laughs> whose needs you're trying to help. Uh, and it's all about listening. Yeah, all about listening. I've heard that in the past from uh, from other people I've talked to that the most compassionate thing you can do is just kind of be available, be present and listen. And that's sort of like a major step that a lot of, like I said, it takes a certain type of person to kind of extend that. It's not always all about solving and it. it's just about having somebody who's really going to listen mm-hmm. and not judge and just have an open ear. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I know your faith has also played a part in, in how you see others. Is that true? Or yeah. do you see that as being true? Yeah. Yeah. I spent about 30 years at a different Episcopal church, not at Messiah, mm-hmm. um, and did a lot of outreach there. I uh, was involved in a lot of things and my kids were involved in a lot of things and so you grew up in the Episcopal Church? Were you raised in that? Catholic. I grew up in the Catholic Church. Catholic, okay. But you transitioned over what mm-hmm. as maybe as a young adult or something? Yeah. To Episcopal? Okay. Yeah. All right. What was it that uh, appealed to you about um, that? It, it really started because they didn't have anything for my kids. They didn't oh, really, the, the Catholic they didn't have yeah, they didn't have the to? Sunday school and, and different activities that they really wanted to do. And a teacher of mine um, was an Episcopal, and she said, come on over to my church. I see. Okay. Yeah, I, I've seen that phrase. I don't know a lot about Episcopalianism. Um, I, I've heard about it over the years, but uh, I've seen a phrase somewhere that it's Protestant yet Catholic. So yeah, I could, it's sort I, of Catholic-like. I, yeah, I could see that kind of being 
an easy, tr- easier transition for you than maybe like another denomination. Yeah. Yeah. But since you've been a member of that church, uh, what is it about that? Uh, the teachings of the Episcopalians that appeals to you? Um, that we, we look at everybody as an individual and as a human being, nobody's better, nobody's less than anybody else. Mm. And this particular church, Messiah is very welcoming. It's very small. And I just fit in there. Like I'd always been there. Like I was family. Oh, it's good to hear. That's important. I mean, having that community element makes, makes, you know, the supporting your faith makes that all the, the difference because it is good to have somewhere to go other than home and work where you can feel like you're a part of something bigger than yourself. Yeah. I've only been a member five years. Mm, but okay. it just feels like I've been there forever. In fact, I met my current husband there. Oh, nice. Yeah. <laughs> you said you've been involved in the Episcopalian uh, church uh, group here in Baltimore for a while. Um, mm-hmm. How long have you been involved in community minded projects or organizations? Um, since high school, actually. Mm. Go Going to... Um, Catholic school, it was all service was always a component. We didn't do service hours, but we were always doing some kind of a service project for some organization or another. I see. So I I just loved it. Yeah. So that was, I guess, being involved in the church that was that gave you your first exposure to maybe people of different backgrounds and different Mm -hmm. circumstances that you hadn't necessarily seen before. Yeah. Um, Was there. A moment in particular, I know we already talked about, you know, you went into counseling specifically to help your students. Mm-hmm. Was there something about helping people in the community that made you want to keep pursuing it? Even though, I mean, I know like being involved in the church is, is a good motivator, but was there something mm-hmm. kind of personally that spoke to you and that made you want to keep doing that work? Uh, yeah, actually, uh, years ago, um, I didn't have enough food. And I actually went to a food pantry mm. and was treated with so much kindness. Yeah. And I said, well, this is just, this needs to happen mm. more often. Yeah. I've, I've had to do that too, but I, I always appreciate that it's available when yeah. I need it, that, that I can mm-hmm. depend on it. Um, so you've been involved in food distribution programs beyond the one at the church in Messiah before. You started at that church? Um, not not an official one. Uh, we did a lot of outreach at my other church, and I did a lot of cooking for parishioners and things like that, but not as much in the community as I have been since I've been at this church. I see. Okay. So since you started at this church, um, if I have my time frame right, I think... You were the director. I'm kind of backtracking a little bit. So mm-hmm. you were you were still the director of disability support services at the University of Baltimore um, before you joined the Church of the Messiah. Yes. Um, was it sort of like a natural transition into something else? Like how, how did your career kind of evolve after you left that position? My career didn't. I had some health problems and I had to retire. Oh, I see. OK. I wasn't aware of that. That's why. I thought yeah. I would ask. Yeah. Um, I do know that you studied, um, I think it was government and public policy later yeah. on. Mm-hmm. Was that after you left 
that director position or was that? No, during? that was during. During. Okay. That was during. What was it about studying that, that was appealing to you? What, what were you hoping to do? I didn't know if I was going to do a career change and uh, to a different branch of state government. And I thought, well, I need to know something about how organizations work. Oh, okay. But then, you know, as you mentioned, you, you had some health problems and then, you know, that you decided to transition to, to doing something else and taking care of yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's interesting. I, I'm just putting this together as we're talking, you, you work to support students with disabilities for so many years, and I'm not necessarily saying you have a disability, but I can see some similarities in that, you know, you have what sounds to me like you have some health challenges now. So does that help you kind of take a different perspective on what you're going through? It does. And actually I've, I have several disabilities and that really, I think made me be able to connect more with my students Mm. along the way and then with the community. Are you still active in those types of services or not so much now? Disability services? Yes. Um, Insofar as uh, making sure that the church and the programs that we do are ADA compliant, yes. Mm, I could see that being really beneficial. When you started with the Feeding the Flock program, at the Church of the Messiah, I, I'm assuming you probably started as a volunteer. Is that right? Yeah, I still am a volunteer. It's an all volunteer organization. Oh, I, but I, I was not a director at the time. Okay, yeah, I wasn't sure if you were in a, like a leadership role or if everybody kind of works on the same level as far as leadership goes of that well, we, program. We, we had a different director at the time, mm-hmm. and it actually the pantry wasn't named; it was just called Messiah's Food Pantry. Okay, but and, it's since been renamed to Feeding the Flock. And that was, um, we had a cookbook in the 80s called Feeding the Flock. And when COVID hit, that's pretty much what we were doing because our numbers tripled. And our volunteers weren't able to come because our parish is older. Mm. And so my husband and I ran it by ourselves for nine months. He was laid off. During COVID? During COVID. Oh, wow. So are you the acting director now? Is that what I'm understanding? I am the director. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So it sounds like, you know, especially during COVID, you've had to take on a different role than you had before, you know, assuming more responsibility for the the program. And, you know, I'm not, it's sad, but I'm not surprised to hear that, you know, the, the amount of people you were serving tripled during the pandemic. That's wow. Yeah. I mean, that's the kind of thing people aren't aware of until, we hear about it. Yeah, uh, we have lines off our parking lot, people waiting in line, and it hasn't decreased at all. Wow. And I don't think that it will. Yeah. Because we've attracted people from all over. We were serving just five zip codes closest to us. And I had people coming from Arbutus. I still have people coming from West Baltimore mm. because they're in food deserts and there's no place they can get food. So they take a bus or two. If they need to, or they drive and they come up and, and uh, get food from us. Mm-hmm. It It's intriguing to me because, you know, I, I haven't been involved with the program and I haven't used the program. But, uh, you know, as a, as a fellow resident of Hamilton, I, you know, occasionally drive by and or I, you know, see posts about it on Facebook or whatever. And it, it impresses me because, you know, as we've discussed, you know, we both use food pantries and. I know, and in my experience in using food pantries, that the quality of the food isn't always, you know, the most appealing because, you know, it might be like box, 
mixes or, you know, just canned Brussels sprouts or, I mean, whatever. (laughs) (laughs) But what impresses me about your program is that you're able to get like fresh produce, you're able to get meat and you're able to get things that, you know, actually have like, you know, if you think of food as the best kind of medicine, like it, it, I don't know, just really, it touches me in a way that, you know, you're able to provide something that people may actually want to eat. I mean, we, we're a, we're a hybrid. We have a standard bag that we give out, mm-hmm. but um, I've been able to develop partnerships where we can get dairy products and meat and things that people need. How did you develop those partnerships? Is it like I, local grocery stores? Um, well, I actually was on next door and um, found uh, Daniel Epps who runs a can can make a difference up in Towson out of rock city church. It's a huge nonprofit Hmm. and I'm one of the partners there and he now has a connection with whole foods. So now we get prepared meals and dairy. I see. And I have a partnership with uh, wise bakery and Einstein bagels and Chick-fil-A. So through that contact in Towson, that's how you're able to, to get better quality food. Yeah. And I also work with a, with a program called um, the, Umbrella organization is for my city and they have a warehouse in uh, Southwest Baltimore. And there's a subsidiary group that's called. So what else Baltimore? And they bring us uh, uh, produce and uh, chicken and things on Fridays. That's awesome. Is so I'm assuming that, you know, given that there's other food pantries in the city that Mm -hmm. maybe you're part of a larger network that, does does everybody kind of get the same distribution of these types of foods? No, no. Um, one of the uh, partnership agreements with a can can make a difference is you have to have a certain number of volunteer hours. Okay. In exchange for what you receive. Okay. So it's not necessarily that every food bank receives the same because because I'm aware of like the Maryland Food Bank. And, right. And we are not currently part of that. Okay. Yeah. I wasn't sure like if you had any involvement or, you know, if it's some, if the Maryland food bank represents most food pantries or not, I'm not, so uh, I, Mar- yeah, I guess that's why I'm a large, a large number of them they do, but um, I, I wanted to become a site, but they weren't taking any new sites because during COVID they, that's all they can do is support. Uh, probably overwhelmed. The they had. Yeah. They were very overwhelmed. Yeah. Gosh. Yeah. I can imagine if, if you're having that many people you're serving at just your food pantry, then there's yeah. probably who, who knows how many across the city and elsewhere. And the food bank food is not free. It's purchased. Okay. See, I'm learning. I, <laughs> I have no yeah. idea. And everybody yeah. says, Oh, you're, you're all the foods donated, not through the food bank. Mm-hmm. Is it at cost or is it? It's a cost. I mean, it's, it's greatly discounted, but you still have to purchase and you, and there's some requirements, uh, for setting up your room and the, and you have to be able to take a minimum of 2000 pounds of food a month. Oh, wow. Okay. Is, is this the major uh, sort of outreach program at uh, the church of the Messiah or yes. it is currently okay. it's the only outreach right now. It's the only outreach. That, that kind of leads to my next question. How, how do you get most of your funding? Cause I, I, I hear that, you know, you're part of the network, but how do you afford to, Purchase food. Uh, we get uh, private monetary donations. We're housed in the church, but the church does not fund us. Oh, okay. Interesting. So you get, do you have to solicit donors? Yes. I have okay. to solicit donors and write grants. And Wow. I mean, that's a job in itself. 
It sure is. <laughs> <laughs> I know just dabbling a little bit in grant writing, it's it's such a grind. And there's not a lot of grants out there specifically for food programs. Okay. Um, a lot of the programs are geared towards a specific uh, youth empowerment or certain things and not necessarily towards funding just so you could support a pantry. I see. Wow. And like I'm, I'm learning a lot right now. <laughs> and it costs, even though we get a lot of donated food, I, I think last year we got 20,000 pounds of donated food. Mm. It still costs $1,000 a month to buy the staples that we give out. Wow. About how many clients are you serving right now? I mean, do you have like an estimate? Uh, let's see. We probably serve at least a hundred every week. Every week. Last year we gave out 9,000 bags of food. Wow. That's, and that's pre-pandemic we were giving out 800 bags a year. Wow. Yeah. That's huge. How has how long has this program been active? The feeding been of the flock for 13, 13 years. Okay, but it, I guess this recent uptick with COVID is probably the most traffic you've ever gotten. Yeah, and and then since I advertise on Facebook, we get other other clients, and I work with community groups, the neighborhood mm. associations. Mm. Is there um, income requirements, or are there any restrictions on who can? No can come. Okay. No. Cause I, I know I participated in food banks where they, they wanted you to meet a certain income level, but I'm glad to hear that, that yours doesn't have that. Cause that, and that's that can be one of the things. Yeah. And that's one of the things about not being part of the food bank. We don't have any restrictions. Oh, okay. People don't have to be uh snap food stamp uh, recipients or anything like that. Yeah. So it sounds like there might be pros and cons to being part of that larger state yeah. network. Okay. That's interesting. So I know serving so many people and seeing so many people in need. I mean, I'm just speaking for myself if I was in that position, but I'm imagining for you that maybe, you know, that that can be a lot of like emotional labor that you're having to do. How do you how do you take care of yourself? Like, how do you help? How do you compartmentalize all the challenges that your clients are going through and and keep your sanity, I guess. Sometimes I can't. I mean, we, I have a really good group of volunteers and we talk about things, but you know, sometimes it's, I just come home and cry and it's not always a bad cry. It's just, we, we touch so many people and people come to us and, you know, you helped me and now I can give back or you helped me and they just start crying when they get the food that they need. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like for you, it sounds like, just sometimes you just need an emotional release yeah. just because of the pressure of it. Yeah. You know? Do you have any, um, do you have any favorite stories of people that you've served? Like you were just mentioning sometimes people, you know, when they receive the food, you know, they, they cry because they're, they're feeling joy at receiving it. Do you have any other stories like that that stuck out for you? We have a, we have a client named Alice mm-hmm. who is adorable. She's 88 years old and widowed. And she actually brings food to her older homebound neighbor. Oh, yeah. And the first time she came, uh, she was referred by somebody in the neighborhood and she came and we gave her everything and carried it to her car and she just burst out crying. Oh, and she comes every week now and she loves to chat with us. And that's what a lot of people 
a lot of our clients want. They just want somebody to chat with them. Mm-hmm. It um, it makes me think, you know, that's another good reason you don't have individual restrictions because, you know, Alice is able to come and get food on behalf of someone else. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's no limitations on that. I'm, I'm glad to hear that. Uh, again, that's another reason it's good that you don't have those restrictions. What excites you about the future of doing this work? I mean, I don't know if you have anything exciting, but is there anything coming up that you're looking forward to? Well, I would really like to to do some workshops on either financial literacy or budgeting or budgeting oh, food stamps and figuring things out. Uh, I'm a couponer for about 40 years. Yeah, that's a whole hustle in itself. <laughs> yes, it is. Because I've tried it before and it's like, wow, it takes a, a lot of just research and figuring out what sales are coming up and everything. So I, yeah, I commend and, you. That's good. Yeah. And I'd like to be able to share that with some with some of our clients. I mean, it, for some, it's not going to be easy because we only have a certain number of food stores in the area mm-hmm. and some don't drive. But for the ones who can, we now have carpools. People are carpooling to be able to come. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. That was was a question I was going to ask. Do you deliver the food as well to people who need it? I will do deliveries if they're local within Mm. like 10 or 15 minutes. Mm. But I have had people call and say, I I live in Brooklyn Park. Can you deliver? And unfortunately, I can't. Uh, Yeah. I mean, that's that's where you got to put some boundaries on it, I guess. Like as much as you want to help everyone, yeah. you can't help every person that needs it, I suppose. That, that's hard. I I could see that. It is hard, but I have a woman who's uh, comes to the pantry and she has partnered with some women in West Baltimore. Now she lives in Hamilton to deliver food to them. Mm, okay. Very nice of her. As far as I know, I'm already following along with the, feeding the flock, you know, trying to keep up with the news and everything. I'd like to hear more about when, you know, if you do start those classes, that that would be great. Um, I'd be happy to try to help spread the word about that if I can. Oh, that would be great. Yeah. We, we started a third Friday a month giveaway, a social and a, and a food giveaway a couple of months ago with a free raffle mm. where we raffle off food items or gift cards. And for basically people in the neighborhood, who may not come to the pantry, may not be able to come because they're working or it's on a Friday from four to five. Okay. And just a chance for everybody to meet their neighbors and get some food and socialize. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know you're, you're involved in other things besides feeding the flock in the church and Messiah. Is there anything else you wanted to talk about that, that you're involved in? Uh, well, when we had children, I taught Sunday school. <laughs> <laughs> And, but, but you're not necessarily teaching Sunday school now. No, no, we only have two kids right now. Mm. Oh, but, like I said, uh, it's an older population. Yeah, but I'm an altar server and a lay Eucharistic minister. Mm. I may be speaking or not telling you anything new here, but you know, I I've seen the national trend in the U.S. over the last few years about like church church attendance shrinking, and you know people kind of losing their faith and that sort of thing. How do you navigate those types of challenges, you know, as a, as a member of your church? Well, right now we are working on a merger between our church and St. Matthias Episcopal church on Bel Air road. Mm, Okay. How would, how would that work? Would you just Um, merge into one building? Yeah, we, we have now merged into the Messiah building 
and we're working on, we will come up with a new name eventually Mm -hmm. um, because we have a small congregation of about 50. Their congregation is even smaller. Wow. And And people are just not going to church and it it costs a lot to run our building because our building is a hundred years old this year. Oh, wow. Yeah. It's been a staple of the Hamilton area, but you know, it's in a way it's sad because, you know, churches do serve as community centers, especially your church. And, you know, I guess a consequence of dwindling church membership is, you know, it puts a strain on the resources that you're able to provide if, you know, if you don't have like volunteers and that sort of thing. So it, it sounds like, you know, like I'm saying, I'm repeating myself. One consequence of, you know, this declining church membership is that it's putting strain on what you're able to provide or yeah. maybe I'm assuming. The majority, the majority of our volunteers are not church members. Oh, really? Yeah. How do you recruit them? Is it just like friends of friends or how does that usually work? Uh, actually, when, when I was working at another pantry, um, there were several volunteers over there and they sort of followed me over here. <laughs> I see. <laughs> and they've been great. And a couple of our uh, volunteers came back uh, after getting uh, vaccinated and boosted and they felt more comfortable. Mm-hmm. That's good to hear. I guess you just have that personality. <laughs> you, to, you, you have the charisma to drink, bring, bring people with you. And I work with reco- the re- local recovery houses and the guys that need uh, service hours or they just come and get food and volunteer. I see. I'm going to go back to talking about, um, I guess, like your own personal motivation as far as, you know, why you enjoy helping others. And we've talked about it a little bit, but was there a shift somewhere in your life? Do you feel like you've always felt pretty compassionate about helping others? Or was there like a moment when you decided, no, I, I really want to devote myself to this? Well, this is funny. I think this goes back to being an only child. I spent a lot of time around adults and I absolutely always loved helping Hmm. people. Shoveling walks and cutting grass and uh, shopping when I was in college, shopping for the older ladies in the neighborhood. And And I can imagine you do a lot of that too. Um, I mean, even still today when you're able just, you know, as, as different needs arise among people that, that you see need help that you're able to, you know, provide that for them. That's great. I'm glad to hear that. I have an older parishioner up, been cooking for for about three years oh (laughs) and he never complains (laughs) (laughs) yeah i could see that like no i don't want green beans this time or whatever (laughs) the only thing he says is don't send me any of that bean stuff again but other than that he doesn't mind (laughs) that's funny what's something you would like people to know about the the clients you serve as far Um, as you know you see a lot of people and it's hard to generalize everybody has their own struggles and we've already talked about you know, you're seeing triple the clients with, you know, during the COVID pandemic. So that's something I didn't know. But what is something else that people may not know about the people you serve that you think people should know more about? Um, that a lot of our clients are working. Mm. They are not, they're not coming up because they want to hand out. Mm-hmm. That they just can't stretch their budget. Um, I have maybe 20% of the clients are uh, grandparents who are raising their grandchildren. Yeah. That's something that doesn't get talked about a lot because my grandparents raised some of my uh, cousins. 
Um, so I can relate to that experience, but it's not called elder care, but it's, uh, it's like the reverse of that. Um, it's, I think it's called kinship care, kinship care. Yes. Kinship care does not get talked about it enough. I, I think because there's a lot of uh, situations, especially here in Baltimore where, you know, grandparents are raising their grandchildren. So yeah, it's interesting to hear that, that you're seeing that too, where you are. I have a segment I like to do uh, called giving your flowers mm-hmm. where I ask uh, who are the people in your life that have helped shape who you are today. And I wanted to pose that question to you. Um, who are the people in your life that have helped shape who you are? Well, my parents, your parents, um, and how do they I help feel, you? Uh, by exposing me to a lot of things. A lot of different religions, a lot of different people showing me what life is like outside of my house and my school mm-hmm. and getting involved with uh, the Episcopal Church. Uh, I helped start um, a youth group there, a journey to adulthood program and taking my kids everywhere. I mean, we expose them to all parts of the city, different cities on the East Coast. What are people really like? So what taking do people really field trips, it sounds like. Yeah. And what do people really need? Yeah. And what it's, can we what can we do for them? That's a really interesting program. It makes me wonder if there's there are other programs like that. You know, I, I know you ran your program at the Church of the Messiah, but yeah, it'd be nice if there were there was more of that just to help kind of broaden young people's perspectives. It sounds like it would have yeah. been really beneficial not only to you, but your kids. Yeah, absolutely. And I don't know that they have another program like that in another church. The Episcopal Church, it's a six-year program broken up into three two-year segments. So is this, I, I know you don't have a, a large youth population, but is the program still active at the church? It is, it is. No, it is active at the Cathedral of the Incarnation, which is my previous church. Oh, I see. Okay. Is there anybody else that you've crossed paths with in your life that, like, you know, for me, for example, um, I'll tell a story. I, I just got this uh, in the mail. I don't know if you can see it, but there's this silver thing here. Mm-hmm. It's a, a water pump for a, a Chevy S10, like this old S10 I used to have. And I was on the side of the road uh, in Alabama. I'm from Alabama. Uh, this was several years ago. And I, uh, I was having car trouble. And this man in an Air Force flight suit pulled over. And said, hey, you know, it looks like you're having car trouble. And he looked under my hood and said, it looks like it might be your water pump because you're not holding water. And I was like, oh, all right. I don't know what to do. He said, well, I'm driving north. I'll drive with you. And, you know, I'll get off. Uh, He told me the exit he was going off on. But he followed me for two hours. And we would stop. We would stop every few minutes. And he would help me, like, put water in the truck. And then, you know, it would last a few minutes. And because there's no water pump, I'd have to refill it again. So he, we did that for two hours. and then. On our last stop, he was like, well, this is my stop, you know, glad to help. And I was, you know, I thanked him profusely and I never saw him again, but I remember that. And it's just one of those moments that kind of helped inform my perspective on humanity. Like, of course, there's miserable things that people do and there are bad people, but then there's, there's all these good people around us, like that are doing their best to try to make the world a better place. So yeah, I, I thought I'd share, like I bought that I this like week. That. 
<laughs> just to help remind me. Uh, but yeah, I share that story. I don't know if you have a similar story. Um, yeah, I had a major stroke, the first of a few, when I was 38. Mm. And my church family at the cathedral just started cooking meals and driving me places and doctor's appointments. And I really didn't expect that. Wow. I was just absolutely overwhelmed. You know, it's like, what else could they do to help? And so, it so took, somebody you knew before. Somebody I knew before. It wasn't, yeah, it wasn't a stranger, but I didn't know them on, a, on the level that I knew them afterwards. Yeah, I can imagine. I would just have people that I had seen on Sunday call me and say, well, I know you, I know you have a doctor's appointment. Let me take you. Wow. And I guess that's part two, you know, being being a part of a tight knit church community. You know, they, it's nice when you have other people look out for you like that. I'm glad to hear that. Yeah. And I'm sure you do that for other people, too. And <laughs> yeah, I do. Yeah. Several times. Yeah, we, we organized meal meal groups for for people who needed it. So uh, another question related to giving your flowers is about other individuals or organizations here in the city. Um, so I just wanted to ask, is there anyone, you know, you don't have to know them personally, but is there any one person or one group that's doing good work here in Baltimore that you'd like to give a shout out to? Absolutely. The Franciscan Center. I I've don't, heard that name. I don't know a lot about They it. do a tremendous meal prep. Um they have a, a culinary class now where they train people mm. and the chef there. Yeah, they they helped me with some meals early on in the pandemic. So is it like a larger scale food bank? Um, it, well, yeah. And they provide hot meals every wow. day. Oh, every day. Wow. Okay. Yeah. I, wow. <laughs> and they, and they, they will go to um, neighborhoods in need and feed them. And feed the various homeless populations, and uh, they they will partner with other groups to provide coats for the kids and backpacks and things. Not that, that's just amazing. Mm -hmm. In case you didn't get to see the part that I was pointing to when I was telling Jackie my story, uh, this is it. It's a silver water pump for a 1982 Chevy S10 pickup truck. I couldn't begin to tell you how it works or how to install it or anything. I just like to have it uh, sort of as a symbol for that story that I was telling Jackie, um, the man in the Air Force flight suit that I, I, I don't know if I'll ever meet him again. But, you know, it's, it's things like this. It's memories like that, stories like that, that help me remember what people are capable of. You know, I, I'm like I said before, I, I feel like I'm one of those silly people that believes that we're all capable of kindness and compassion and just general goodwill towards others. You know, even the worst of us have that buried deep down somewhere. So, yeah, just having having a story like that and having the ability, the presence of mind to be able to share stories like Jackie's. I, I just appreciate so much that people like Jackie make time to talk with me. So uh, thanks again to Jackie Gutman. If you'd like to follow Feeding the Flock, uh, you can check them out on Facebook and Instagram at Feeding the Flock Messiah. That's all one word, Feeding the Flock Messiah. And see what Jackie's up to lately. Uh, as for me, I'll be back here on the 15th of next month to share another one of Baltimore's thousands of helpers. There's a lot of them out there. And I appreciate you going on this journey with me. So 
until then, uh, I just want to say thank you for being out there and thank you for being kind today. Take care. <laughs>